Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. The Rookie is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie. Great point about the reliability of Ariok Morningstar. You know, Akbar, in all the commotion over Fayed's death, we've kind of overlooked the quality performances from some of the Kraken's players. That, and with the quarterback controversy... Well, luckily, the quarterback controversy is over. It is? Well, of course it is. Okay, then who won? Barnes, for crying out loud. Barnes is starting against the Earthlings. And that means the controversy is over, Terrett? You saw him last week. Barnes was sensational. Sure, against the Quiff survivors. My mother-in-law could pass on the Quiff survivors. Come on, Dan. Just admit it. Barnes is the man. Akbar, are you insane? Are you completely brain damaged? The kid couldn't cut it against the war pigs. Pine had to come in and bail him out. So he had one bad game. He throws interceptions. He's the friggin' king of an interception land. And now you think he's the man? But Pine's not even practicing with the team. Akbar, that's just a rumor. My sources say it's true. He's not practicing at all, Dan. Then it's a head game. Don't you morons see that? Hokor is up to his old tricks again. So what are you saying? That Don Pine should start? Damn right! So he can choke again? Like he has the last two years? He does seem to blow the big games, Dan. It's the playoffs! You know, where teams play other teams that are pretty damn good? Oh, come on, Dan. Pine couldn't finish a hot dog without choking on it. He won two Galaxy Bowls! Oh, not that again. Screw you, Terret, and screw you, Akbar! Next caller, dammit! Next caller! Playoffs Round 2. INF Krakens, 7-2. At Texas Earthlings, 8 and 2. The Krakens gathered in the dimly lit tunnel of Hudson Field. The 250,000 fans crowded into the stadium, stamped their feet in unison. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. The walls and floor vibrated from the bloodthirsty beasts stomping. Quentin felt nearly mad with the hunger of battle. He was stepping into it this time, taking hand-to-hand combat into the field instead of sitting behind his wall of key linemen. The Earthlings would be coming after him relentlessly, literally trying to knock him out of the game. Cheap shots would abound. He knew damn well he was in for the beating of his life, but he was going to give as good as he got. Introducing the champions of the Human Conference, please welcome the Texas Earthlings! The crowd's choreographed stomping evaporated, replaced by the Nova-like roar of mostly human fans. It was a hostile environment. Broadcasters had estimated 200,000 of the fans 
were Texas Earthling supporters. Only 20,000 were Krakens faithful, and the remaining 30,000 were mostly fans from other teams in the Human Conference. All that added up to a nice home game for the Earthlings. The Krakens swayed back and forth, one organism, one collective brain set on grabbing the prey and tearing it to shreds, tearing it apart with tooth and claw and tentacle and rasper and bare hands. Society slipped away into some abstract concept. For now, there was only the battle. There was only the intense, primitive pleasure of destroying another sentient being. And High One helped those who stood in the Kraken's way. And now, champions of the Quith Irradiated Conference, the INF Krakens! Quentin waited for Pine to call out to the team, to rally them into one cohesive, violent machine, ready to crush and punish and, if need be, to kill. But instead of his trademark leader's voice, Pine said only one soft sentence. Quentin, it's your team now. Lead us out. Forty-five sets of eyes turned to look at Quentin, who wore a warm-up jacket over his uniform. Pine's words filled Quentin with raw emotion. It was his team now, now and forever. Pine had passed the torch in full view of his teammates. He wasn't a rookie anymore. He was the battle-hardened leader of this team, the general who led his soldiers into war. He'd fought and bled with these beings, won and lost with these beings, felt ultimate joy and faced the ultimate sadness. Somewhere during the season, and he didn't know exactly where, Quentin Barnes had become a man. The team waited for Quentin to speak. He quickly looked from player to player, taking the time to measure up each Kraken's emotion. They were all ready to go. Instead of talking, he slipped off his warm-up jacket to show his orange jersey. Underneath, instead of his normal number, 10, the black numbers with orange trim read, 47. Fayed's jersey. Screw the earthlings, Quentin said. A brief pause, then a barbaric roar so raw and loud it made the 250,000 being crowd sound weak by comparison. The Kraken shot out of the tunnel like the fiery breath of some legendary dragon. They raced onto the surface, which was made up of a thick emerald green plant marked with bright white stripes and numbers. It was finer and softer than Makobi's Karsenji grass. Quentin's mind raced, not with thoughts, but a lack of thoughts, a mental blankness created by a primitive violence that suffused his every last atom. He walked out onto the center of the field for the coin toss. Haywick on his left, John Tweedy on his right. Azeeb waited at the 50-yard line, right in the middle of the multicolored GFL logo painted on the lush green grass. On the other side of the Zeeb waited their enemy, Case Hot Pepper Johansson, the Earthlings quarterback, and Choco Thillet, their all-pro defensive tackle. The Earthlings wore bright red jerseys with blue letters and silver trim, blue leg armor with silver piping, and silver helmets decorated with a blue-trimmed white star. Johansson stared at Quentin. What's with the number change, boy? Quentin just stared back. Johansson had played three seasons of Tier 1 ball with the Earthlings, before their fall from grace last season down into Tier 2. Don't you know it's bad luck to wear a dead man's number? Johansson asked, his face twisted into a half-smile, half-sneer. Keep talking, douchebag! 
Tweedy said. You're wearing a dead man's number. You just don't know it yet. Johansson throws like a girl scrolled across Tweedy's forehead. Johansson's sneer faded, briefly, but it faded nonetheless. The hot-shot quarterback's attentions turned from Quentin to John Tweedy, who just stared and grinned his I'm-not-quite-sane grin. Johansson didn't say anything else. Krakens are the visiting team, the Zeeb said, his voice amplified by the stadium loudspeakers so that it cracked like the sound of the high one himself. Who will call the toss for the Krakens? She will, Quentin said, pointing at Haywick. She had been given that duty, and she shook with an intense fervor. Quentin didn't understand how the coin toss factored into the Sklorno's strange religion, but apparently it was an honor that surpassed even the cathartic thrill of catching a long touchdown pass. This is heads, the Zeeb said, showing a metal coin with a picture of a Kretorakian head. And this is tails. He flipped the coin to show a stylized planet, Kretorak. Call it in the air, the Zeeb said, and he tossed the coin. Heads! Haywick screamed, more rapture than excitement. The coin bounced on the grass, flipped three times, then landed flat. Heads. Haywick collapsed and lay on the ground, quivering. Krakens win the toss, the Zeeb said, echoed by the loudspeakers. Do you wish to receive or defer? We want the ball, Quentin said. A stay of execution, Tweedy said, staring straight at Johansson, who no longer looked as cocky. Quentin and Tweedy picked up Haywick and carried her to the sidelines. Quentin let out a slow, controlled breath. He wouldn't have long to wait. One quick kickoff, and he'd be on the field, squaring off against Choco Fillet and the other Earthlings defenders. Oh! The crowd started the low, tribal, pre-kickoff chant. Adrenaline poured through Quentin's veins, so thick it might have spilled out of his pores and dripped onto the green grass at his feet. He tried to breathe slow, but found it difficult. His breath came in shallow, ragged gasps. He blinked rapidly, gritting his teeth, waiting for the coming battle. Oh! A hand on his shoulder, Donald Pine. Relax, kid, Pine said, his smile easy and genuine. We're going to do this together. Once you get that first hit in, you'll be fine. Quentin nodded, then turned back to the field. Oh! The ball sailed through the air. Richfield jogged back past the goal line, her eyes fixed on the tiny brown dot in the sky. Just take a knee, Pine said, more to himself than anyone else. The ball descended as the Kraken special teamers formed up into the wall. Thunk! The ball dropped down into Richfield's arms at the very back edge of the end zone. She looked up, hesitated for half a second, then ripped forward at a dead sprint. No, Pine said. Quentin just watched. Earthlings' wall breakers smashed into the Kraken's wedge at the 10-yard line. Bodies flew in all directions. Richfield ran up into the wall and disappeared amongst the carnage. Well, there goes our field position. Pine's sentence died on his lips as Richfield popped out the other side, untouched and moving at top speed. In the blink of an eye, she passed the 30, then the 40, and moved across midfield. Well, slap my face and call me Sally, Pine said. Sklorno Earthlings took deep angles of pursuit. Serge Tanakian, the Earthlings kicker, ran upfield, trying to cut down Richfield's running angles. She ran right at him, 
cut once to the left, then to the right, then to the left again. Tanakian matched the first move, stumbled on the second, and fell face first on the third. Richfield shot by him. She sprang 10 feet into the air as a Scalorno defender leapt for her feet and became the second player in a row to hit the grass empty-handed. One last red and blue-clad Scalorno angled between Richfield and the end zone. She didn't cut this time. She reached out a hard tentacle as the two players met at the 10, stiff-arming her foe. They ran side-by-side side for another five yards. Then the defender, knocked off balance by that stiff arm, fell to the ground. Richfield went into the end zone, standing up. Quentin looked back downfield, but there were no flags. Touchdown, Krakens! Richfield scores on a 102-yard kickoff return. A new playoff record! The extra point team ran onto the field. The Krakens had just taken a huge jump, but Quentin found it hard to be excited. He had to wait for that first hit, and he had to pee. Ariok Morningstar knocked in the extra point. First play of the game, Kraken 7, Earthlings 0. Quentin tried to draw full breath while the kickoff team took the field. Morningstar nailed a low squib kick. Hokor didn't want a long return that might give the Earthlings momentum. Utgard, the Earthlings kick returner, handled the line drive kick and brought the ball back to the 28 before being brought down. John Tweedy and company took the field. As Quentin looked at the defense, Tweedy, Virak the Mean, Chota the Bright, Michnik and Khomeini, Maya Nickel and Perayet, he felt a pang of sorrow for Johansson. Those seven players had thought of nothing for the last week other than the total destruction of the Earthlings quarterback. Quentin figured the Earthlings defense had probably done the same thing, preparing for him, so how would they react when he lined up at tailback and Donald Pine took the snaps? The Earthlings started out running, a sweep to Pookie Chang. Virak the Mean drove through two blockers and brought Chang down for a one-yard loss. Johansson tried a simple out pass on the next snap, but Berea broke up the play. On third and long, Tweedy crowded the line, showing blitz all the way. Johansson dropped back. Tweedy's blitz drew the fullback's block, and Khomeini broke through almost immediately. Johansson felt the pressure and calmly threw the ball away. Three and out. Quentin had to pee so bad he could barely stand up straight. Here we go, kid, Pine said as he pulled on his helmet. It's showtime. Richfield vibrated with anticipation as the punt sailed through the air, but it had excellent hang time, and she was forced to call a fair catch at the Kraken's 35. Quentin and the offense ran onto the field for the first time. Just what in the heck is going on here, Masara? I don't know, Chick, but it looks to me like Donald Pine is calling to play in the huddle. But I thought Pine wasn't even practicing with the team. That's what everyone was told, Chick. But Kraken's coach Hokor the hook chest and Earthling's coach Pata the calculating are two of the trickiest strategists in the game. Word has it that Pata the calculating has something up his many sleeves. He wouldn't allow any media in his practices for the last two weeks. And as for Pine not practicing with the team, maybe Hokor was just being disingenuous. 
Hey, now, easy on the big words, Masara. It's not a big word. It's a very common... Hold on there, vocabulistic Vinny. The Krakens are lining up for the play, and what the heck? That's Mitchell Fayad's number in the backfield. Someone get us a close-up of that guy. Well, grease me up like a well-used sock monkey, Masara. That's Quentin Barnes at tailback. Is he crazy, Chick? The defense will tear him apart. Well, this makes about as much sense as a Sklorno receiver walking unclothed into a bedbug convention, but it's definitely a new wrinkle that I don't think the Earthlings are ready for. The defense looks a bit anxious, Chick. That they do, Masara. Like the mother of three hot triplets who just realized her jailbait daughters are well into puberty and drawing the attention of the Void Bite gang next door. Chick, take it easy. You. Sorry, Masara. Sorry, folks at home. Here go the Krakens in I formation. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Clinton lightly rested his hands on his slightly bent knees. 
he stood directly behind Tom Perilous, who crouched in a three-point stance. Donald Pine looked down the left side of the line, then the right, barking out signals. Blue 16! Blue 16! The play was an off-tackle left run, away from Choco Fillet, a strategy the Krakens would try to follow for most of the day. No point in wasting time. Quentin had to get it over with if he was going to be effective. Hut hut! Pine turned as Perilous drove to the left. Quentin followed him, his eyes fixed on the ball held in Pine's outstretched hands. Don't fumble, don't fumble, don't fumble. Quentin raised his right elbow high, the back of his hand on his chest. His left hand rested against his lower stomach, thumb forward, the way he'd been taught to take a handoff. Pine stabbed the ball toward his stomach. Quentin's left hand cupped the bottom of the ball as his right elbow snapped down, trapping the ball between his thick forearms. Only after he felt the ball was snugly in place did he look up to run. Perilous pushed through the hole and notched a solid fit on the linebacker. Quentin ran straight into the hole. Like some evil magical portal, the hole instantly vanished. Defenders appeared in front, on his right and left. Quentin put his head down and drove forward. Wham! Wham! Two hits in rapid succession, one from the left, the next from the right, as the defensive tackle and then the middle linebacker smashed into him. Quentin's right arm went instantly numb, but he held onto the ball as two big bodies dragged him down. He wound up on his back, looking straight up into the face of his countryman, Alonzo Castro. What in the void could you be thinking, boy? Alonzo asked, a look of concern on his face. You need to get your tail back behind that big offensive line of yours, or you're going to get hurt. Quentin's right arm felt all tingly and hot, not in any shape to push Alonzo away, so he laid still and tried to play it cool. Good to see you again, Quentin said. But if anybody's going to get hurt, it's going to be you when I run you over. Alonzo laughed, not an evil laugh but as if an old friend had told him a good joke. He stood and reached out a hand. We'll see about that, Alonzo said, as he helped Quentin off the ground. Quentin ran back to the huddle. He could barely move his arm, but the tingling feeling was already fading away. If that was the best hit Alonzo had to offer, Quentin thought he might make it through the game after all. He ran to the back of the huddle to stand in the tailback spot, thinking how strange it was to watch someone else call the play. Quentin, Pine barked. Take it easy when I hand you the freaking ball, man. You almost took my hand off. Oh, sorry. Don't sweat it. You feel better now? The question confused Quentin for just a second. Then he realized the butterflies were gone and he no longer had to pee. Yeah, he said with a grin. I guess I do. Pine nodded just once. Then his eager eyes swept the offensive players. Okay, they're already confused by Quentin, and they'll be looking for him. So we go play action right towards Choco Thillet, hot pass to Warburg. At least someone will throw me the damn ball, Warburg said. Shut up, racist, Pine said. You keep your mouth shut in my huddle, you got it? Warburg glared, but nodded. Okay, on two, on two. Ready? Break! Quentin lined up in the I formation once again. Pine barked out the signals. The linemen smashed together. Quentin drove to the right, left hand on his chest, left elbow up high. Pine stabbed the ball towards his stomach again, and Quentin brought his forearms together, except this time there was no ball at his stomach. 
he put his head down and leaned forward, charging into the line. He ran just outside Wena Derrett. The hit came from his right, enough to spin him around. Then a freight train smashed into his chest. The world spun in a wild circle, and something hit him hard in the left shoulder. It took him a full second before he realized that last hit had been the ground. Quentin gazed up into the black eyes of Choco Thillet, who looked down at him the way a spider looks at a bug caught in its web. Alonzo's grinning head appeared next to Choco Thillet's. Don't he just hit like a tank, Quentin? My grandma hits harder, Quentin said. Alonzo helped him up once again. In the huddle, the Krakens were excited and eager for the next play. Quentin realized he had no idea if the play had been successful. He looked at the scoreboard. First and ten on the Earthlings 44. Warburg stood and looked back at Quentin. So that's what it's like to catch a pass. Pine reached out and slapped Warburg hard in the head. Damn it, Warburg, shut your pie hole. Warburg turned and bent, leaning over in standard huddle position so the players behind him could see Pine. Okay, now we go for the throat. Be set 22 post. Hey, Wick, I'm putting the ball in the air whether you're covered or not, so you go get it or I will never throw you another pass as long as you live. A silence filled the huddle. Quentin just stared, amazed at Pine's ruthlessness. It would have been like telling a holy man that if he didn't catch the ball, he'd be damned to hell by St. Stuart himself. Haywick started to shake. Shake all you want, sissy girl, Pine said. Every defensive back on the field is going to know it's coming to you when I drop back, and it doesn't matter. You don't catch that ball, and you are excommunicated from the church of Donald Pine. Do you understand? Haywick's raspers rolled and unrolled involuntarily, over and over again. Do you understand? Yes, Haywick chirped. Pine nodded once. On three, on three. Ready? Ready! The Krakens lined up in a pro set. Quentin five yards behind Pine and two yards to his left. Tom Perilous five yards behind Pine and two yards to his right. Warburg lined up at left tight end and Scarborough split left. Wide right, all alone, stood Haywick, still shaking. The defensive backs keyed on Haywick's shake. Earthlings cornerback Toronto called the defensive audible. The backs shifted. Toronto moved up one yard off Haywick for woman-to-woman coverage, while Vogograd lined up ten yards behind Toronto. Haywick was facing double coverage. Red 12! Pine shouted. Red 12! Alonzo jumped forward after the call, lining up over the left guard and showing blitz. If he came... He was Quentin's responsibility. Alonzo stood quickly and pointed at Quentin. Here it comes, pretty boy. Here comes the hurt. Alonzo squatted, his fists shaking with adrenaline rage, eyes wide as a nocturnal predator. Hut, hut, hut! Pine took the snap and dropped back, smooth as silk. Quentin stepped forward, with one step to the left, legs bent, and hands up in front of him. The left defensive tackle drove toward the center as Alonzo took a small step back and moved quickly to his right, away from center. Quentin recognized the move as a linebacker stunt. The slashing defensive tackle drew blocks from both Shoto Thicket, the left guard, and Budo Shwek, the center. Warburg blocked the defensive end. 
Alonzo stepped up through the sudden opening, coming free and unobstructed like a rabid bearcat. Block him or Pine goes down. Quentin stepped up and leaned forward. Alonzo bent forward at the exact same moment, bringing his right arm forward in a vicious undercut. Quentin recognized the rip move at the last second. Alonzo would power by his right side and have a free shot at Pine. Quentin lunged to his right, desperately trying to correct his mistake. Alonzo hit him with all of his considerable strength, driving his rip move from his feet, through his thick legs, to his powerful arm, all with a strong twist of the hips to make the move as concussive as a heavyweight's knockout uppercut. Quentin was off balance from his desperate dive, and without his feet planted, he had no strength to counter the move. Alonzo's forearm hit him under the chin, lifting him off his feet and knocking him backward. Quentin saw nothing but bright lights and felt a quick tug on his chin before his helmet spun through the air like a decapitated head. He landed on his butt and rolled backwards, feet overhead. The world spun around him, a blur of green grass and red leg armor. He felt a foot kick him in the ribs, then the weight of another player landing on top of him. Quentin rolled backwards one more time, then lay flat. There was a ringing in his ears. But there was also a roar. A roar of the crowd. Suddenly, a hand grabbed his, yanking him to his feet. Great block, kid, Pine said, shaking Quentin's shoulders as he screamed in his face. We got him! What? Quentin said. Touchdown, kid! Touchdown! Quentin felt something in his mouth. He spit. His front right tooth landed in a clot of blood, red and white on green. That thing is never going to heal right. Quentin limped off the field. That's got to be the greatest catch I've ever seen, Masara. Amazing. Amazing. Let's see the replay on this. Haywick is double-covered from the get-go, Masara. Watch the move she puts on Toronto to get clear, but she's still got Vogelgrad and woman-to-woman. She's totally covered. But if she's double-covered, why would Pine throw that ball, Chick? He just put it up for grabs. He knows his players, Masara. He's always known his players. Watch Haywick go up in the air. Check the live analysis, Masara. The computer says she jumped 23 feet in the air. She jumped like her life depended on it. Something like that, Masara. But Vogelgrad is known for her leaping ability, and she actually got a hand on the ball. But watch Haywick rip it away from her. She went after that ball like a hooker diving after a tightwad trick. Chick, for crying out loud. Sorry, Masara. Sorry, folks at home. But watch her come down with it. She hit the ground upside down, and she still held on to the ball. And there you have it. The high priestess of the Church of Donald Pine puts the Krakens up by two touchdowns. And we're still in the first quarter. Quentin woke with a start, the smell of something acidic and horrible filling his nostrils. He twisted his face to avoid the stench, which seemed to follow his nose. He blinked a few times and saw that Doc was waving something in his face. Knock it off, Quentin said, pushing Doc's mouth flap away. He looked around. He was on the sidelines. What happened? You don't remember? Quentin started to shake his head and realized too late just how much that hurt. 
Oh, no, I don't. You ran a sweep right and tried to cut back. Choco Phillip beat his block and laid you out. A sweep right? Yes, Doc said. When? First drive of the second quarter. Second? Wait, the first quarter's over? Doc floated up to look Quentin in the eye. You don't remember the first quarter? Quentin shrugged. I remember some of it. What is the last thing that you remember? Haywick's touchdown. Quentin, you carried the ball five times for 16 yards after that. You don't remember? Quentin thought for a second, then shrugged. Nope, not a thing. His head throbbed as if a miniature key were in his brain, whipping jointed limbs to and fro in a dance of destructed gray matter. It felt like someone was jabbing a screwdriver into the right side of his jaw. He gingerly touched that spot. No screwdriver, at least, but he couldn't be certain about the miniature key. The tip of his tongue played with the space where his missing front right tooth should have been. Oh, I don't feel so good. How many mouth flap tips am I holding up? Quentin squinted. At first he saw four tips, then his vision cleared, and the tips blended together into a solid shape. Uh, two. Good, Doc said, patting Quentin on the shoulder pad. You're ready to go back in. Doc floated away. That's what you think, Quentin muttered, looking at the ground. He definitely did not feel ready to go back in. He noticed the right side of his orange jersey was stained with blood. Only then did he notice a tingling along his ribs. Left hand told the story. Right side rib armor ripped half away, temporarily patched with bulkhead tape. He slid his fingers under the shoddy repair job and felt the familiar texture of a nanosite bandage. He saw a tiny pair of yellow furred feet and looked up into the eye of Hokor the hook chest. Great job out there, Barnes, Hokor said. You ready for more? Quentin nodded. Just once, because nodding yes hurt just as much as shaking no. Just give me the ball, coach. Good, good. Well, you're going to get the ball now. We're up 14 to nothing, so we want to keep the ball on the ground as much as possible and chew up the clock. You ready to take some hits? Quentin raised an eyebrow. Haven't I taken some already? Whatever you do, hold on to the ball. Hokor walked back to the edge of the field. The Kraken's defense was on the field, but Quentin didn't have the energy to get up and watch. Quentin took a deep breath and let out a heavy sigh. He had at least one more half of this to go. Kraken's fans were scattered around the stadium with most sitting in the north end zone. The south end zone, however, was the sole domain of die-hard Texas Earthlings fans, dressed in a sea of red, blue, and white. As the Krakens lined up at their own three-yard line, the fans roared as if a thousand mouths were pressed right up against Quentin's ear. Pine's shoulders shook as he called out the signals, but Quentin couldn't hear him. The Earthlings fans wanted a break, something good to happen for their team, which was down 14 to nothing. Quentin watched carefully. Pine's head bobbed down when he said, Hut! And the snap was on three. He had to time it right. There was no room for mistakes this close to your own goal line. One bob. Alonzo Castro cheated up to the line, his eyes locked on Quentin. Bob, bob! 
Even as Quentin ran right to take the handoff, he saw Choco Thillet driving inward, a key tank chewing up flesh. Wen E. Derrett tried to stop him, but suddenly bent backwards at a funny angle, multi-jointed limbs spasming in a symphony of pain. Choco Thillet roared through the line, already a yard past the goal line. Quentin concentrated on taking the handoff. Once he felt the ball firmly in his arms, he put his head down and drove forward. It was like running into a swinging 600-pound wrecking ball. Every atom in his body jarred backwards. He couldn't see. He felt arms wrapping around him. Quentin spun to the right, his free hand viciously punching away. It hit some armor and glanced off. Arms tried to drag him down, but he kept pumping his legs, running with a pure animal fury. Like hell, he'd be tackled for a safety. He felt the key arm slip away and he cut up field, only to feel a shoulder pad drive deep into his stomach and short but powerful human arms wrapping around his waist. Air shot out of his lungs. His body jarred backwards, every atom shaking from the impact. His feet came off the ground and he landed on his back, head snapping into the turf. Whistles blew. The crowd roared. He gasped for air, but nothing came in or out. He opened his eyes and looked at the ground. It was painted in Earthlings red. A safety. Kraken's 14, Earthlings 2. Alonzo pushed off him, looked to the sky and screamed a primitive roar of triumph. He looked down at Quentin and smiled. I guess it's a good thing I'm a little small for a linebacker or that hit might have actually hurt you. Quentin still couldn't breathe. He weakly lifted his right hand and flipped Alonzo the bird. Alonzo laughed just before his teammates swarmed over him, shouting excitedly in at least four different languages. Despite Doc's urging, Quentin refused to lie down. He knew that if he did, he wouldn't get up. Not ever again. He would just sleep for a long, long time. But Doc wouldn't put IVs in him if he stood, so he compromised and sat through Hokor's halftime adjustments. This is the game we wanted to play, Hokor said. Quentin held out his right arm, allowing Doc to inject an IV needle. He watched the pointed needle slide into his skin, but didn't feel a thing. Fluids. Doc said quietly. You're dehydrated. Our defense has shut them down, Hokor said. No points. Can we keep it up? Yes, shouted John Tweedy. Johansson's talking garbage. I say the only way that loser gets off the field at the end of the game is on a stretcher. The key linemen let out a roar of approval, banging their forearms against their chest armor. Another needle, this time in his left arm. Blood, Doc said. You lost a lot from those cuts on your ribs. We need to get your blood count back to normal. Offensively, we're doing okay, Hokor said. I cannot attack. I know you're facing Choco Thillard, but you've got to step up. You've got to play above your level. You can't let him come through. When E. Derrett had been hurt on the play that gave the Earthlings a safety. After preliminary treatment on the sidelines, Doc had carted him to the locker room, and from there, a grav ambulance had rushed him off to Hudson Bay Hospital. Someone had mumbled something about a severed nervous cord, a very serious key injury, but the team didn't talk about it. 
After the game, there would be plenty of time to either visit him in the hospital or the funeral home. I know you can stop him, Akinatak, Pine said. The veteran quarterback looked like he'd been mugged all over again. After Wenny Derrett's injury, Choco Thillett had sacked Pine three times, each one more devastating than the last. Akinatak, a backup tackle, just couldn't handle the All-Pro's savage defensive strength. You've got to stop him. The honor of your family is riding on this. Akinatak suddenly sat up straighter. You know what he told me after the last sack, Pine said. He put his face right up against me and said, Dijo Malaki Yokot. All the key in the locker room shuddered with instant anger. All eyes turned to Akinatak, who stood stock still. Hey, Doc, what's that mean? It means your lineman is my girlfriend. Roughly translated. Quentin nodded, appreciating the severity of the comment. Can you believe he said that? Pine said. Although, if you look at the beating I took on your missed blocks, it's kind of hard to argue with him. Suddenly, all eyes turned away from Akanatak, as if everyone in the room felt embarrassed for him. Hokor commanded everyone's attention. Yes, all right, well, anyway, let's get on with the halftime adjustments. Doc slid away to tend to other players, leaving the needle sticking out of Quentin's arms. Masal the Efficient ran up, a new set of rib armor in his hands. The quith worker pulled away the blue bandages covering Quentin's wounds. They weren't quite healed, but they didn't have time to wait. Hokor walked through offensive adjustments. Quentin tried to pay attention, but all he could hear, really, were the words, We're going to run the ball more, repeated over and over again. The Krakens weren't the only ones making halftime adjustments. The Earthlings received the second half kickoff and ran it back to their own 37. They lined up in something that Quentin had never seen before. Two tight ends with three running backs lined up side by side, about five yards behind Johansson. Well, ain't that something, Yitzhak said. That's the wing tee. Kraken's defenders shouted to each other, already nervous about the new formation. The Earthlings hadn't run this formation, not once all season long. The ball snapped. Quentin watched Johansson hand off to Pookie Chang. Pookie's big arms folded over the ball. He plowed into the line and disappeared into a pile of bodies. But there was no whistle. Johansson still had the ball. He'd faked the handoff to Chang. He put it into the hands of tailback Peter Loichi, who folded his arms around the ball the same way Chang had. Johansson rode the handoff, seemingly holding onto the ball as Loichi cut into the off-tackle hole. Johansson then ran to the sidelines, pretending to carry the ball. Every play is a triple threat. Fullback, tailback, or quarterback. And the way they fold over the ball, you can't see if they have it or not. Most of the Kraken's defense had bought the fullback's dive, leaving plenty of room for Loichi, who broke through the line and cut up field. After a half of watching running back Pookie Chang's big body rumble along, the fleet-footed Loichi was like poetry in motion. At only 210 pounds, he was a featherweight, but man could he move. Loichi chewed up 15 yards before Perth brought him down at the Kraken's 48. The Earthlings lined up in the wing tee again, 
and this time Pookie Chang took the handoff. He popped through a tiny hole next to the center, moving forward at top speed. Tweedy had been watching Loachi and hadn't come forward. Chang hit like a big-shouldered blocker, knocking Tweedy flat on his back. Chang stumbled on the fallen linebacker, giving Virak the mean time to drag him down after an eight-yard game. The next play saw the same thing. The lineman and linebacker stepped up to stop Chang, but he didn't have it. Defensive backs converged on Loachi as Johansson rode him through the line. Loachi went down under Perth and Berea, but he didn't have the ball either. Suddenly, Johansson was cutting up the sidelines, all alone. Stockbridge came from the far side of the field, her speed easily surpassing Johansson's. Instead of taking the hit, Johansson casually stepped out of bounds after a 37-yard gain. Uh-oh, Itzhak said. I bet it's been two centuries since anyone ran this offense. This could be trouble. The Earthlings lined up at the Kraken's three-yard line, once again in the two-tight end wing tee. The Kraken's goal line defense packed around the line of scrimmage, shifting here and there, still not sure how to set up to stop the new offensive attack. The ball snapped, and Johansson went through the cycle. Put the ball in Chang's arms, put the ball in Loachi's arms and ride him in, then run to the sidelines. Quentin tried to find the ball. Chang went down. Loachi's fake was bad. Johansson still had the ball, running for the corner of the end zone. Perth closed on him like a black and orange and white blur, but Johansson pulled up and threw a light pass to Loachi, who had released into the flat behind the streaking Perth. Wide open. Touchdown, Earthlings. The extra point was good. Kraken's 14, Earthlings 9. You have been listening to The Rookie, Season 1 of the Galactic Football League Series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar, with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Super Weapon. Superweaponband.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.